Well, we're, we're going to jump into a new, new series today. I'm excited because we've been talking about in our church and, and fasting, and perhaps you took part in that process uh, for miracles, believing that God would, would intersect with our lives in a miraculous way. And we see in Scripture that God does so often, and we see especially in the, in the Gospels, that God meets his people for the sake of expressing his glory and meeting their needs. And so this past week we prayed. Thank you to everyone who took part in that. If you fasted anything, I appreciate it. It, it was a moment for us to consecrate ourselves at the beginning of the year, prepare for what God would do for us. But my hope and my heart is that God will continue to move in, in perhaps miraculous ways, addressing the issues of our heart, the needs that we have, and at the same time glorifying himself in that process. So that's where my faith is today. And, and I believe that God is going to meet us. Um, great job if you read your Bible this week. And if you didn't, I'm not going to point you out because I don't know. But uh, I just wanted to say if you, last week we talked about reading our Bibles. And, and I just wanted to say if you did, awesome. Well done. Good job. Um, pat yourself on the back. Be encouraged. And if you haven't, don't feel bad. Go ahead and get started. Um, today I wanted to ask the question, have you ever looked at your life, uh, and, and, and we're among family, have you ever wondered, why are my problems so very overwhelming? Just me? Okay. Why are my problems so very overwhelming? Maybe it's an issue at work that, that you just can't seem to get beyond. Maybe it's a, it's a co-worker or uh, a supervisor who, who you just you're bumping heads and you're trying to figure out why is it that I have so much conflict or friction here? Or maybe, maybe it's, a, you know, it's the new year and it's this bad habit that you've had for years and you're trying to quit and, and you talk to your friend and your friend is like, well, yeah, I, this is what I did. I took three steps. I read this book and, and, and now I don't struggle with it anymore. And you're like, well, I read that same book before you. I, I actually told you to read it and, uh, and I still am struggling with this issue. Or maybe it's, maybe it's something at your home and, and there's some relational tension that, that you're, you're trying to navigate and it's difficult, but what, what makes it all the more difficult is that you look around and, and you maybe even come to church and you look at all these wonderful people who have it all together. And you think to yourself, man, why am I such a mess? And, and you begin to, you know, we go out and we have donuts and, and coffee and you talk to people about their life and you're finding out that they're, they're doing these amazing things, you know, uh, parents, you've, you've met the parent who has like 30 kids and, and they're all, you know, valedictorians at Yale and, um, and you're like, I'm just trying to keep them alive. And I don't want to talk about it because I don't know how my problems are not your problems or you, you look around and you're saying, why, why are my issues, which apparently are, are not very big, not a big deal, such a big deal to me. Maybe you, you read biographies, and, and biographies can be really encouraging until they're discouraging. Uh, you read about the saints of old, and you're like, oh, I want to be encouraged in the Lord. And, and you learn about Polycarp and how he's a bishop in, uh, of Smyrna, and he has the testimony of God, and that's amazing. And then his problem is that he's going to, the, he's going to die in the Colosseum, and what does he do? He's, he's just kind of waving at people and trusting God with his life as he is set on fire. And I am just struggling to keep it together on Route 7. Why is it that we struggle with our problems and why are they so overwhelming? 
Well, if, if that's you, I want to build your faith today. I want to encourage you in two ways. One, I want to encourage you that God wants to meet you where you are. You know, I think many of us, we want to be somewhere else, but God wants to meet you where you are today. And I believe that Jesus is going to invite you to come to him with whatever problems you have. And as you come to him and trust him with the outcome, he will be glorified in, in you and you will be blessed. That's my hope. That's our expectation today as we engage with the word. So let's stand together. If you knew, we read the word of God aloud together as a way of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Get your Bibles out. We're reading or just you can join us on the screen. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So he took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana and Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you do sustain our existence and our reality. And that you're a God of miracles. That we, we can come to you and ask for miraculous, bold things because of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. The access we have allows us to ask for these things, and you are able to do them. You're able to do amazing things on our behalf for your glory. God, I pray for the people in this room, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see how good Jesus is, how loving and caring he is, and how much he wants to address the issues of their hearts, the issues of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister the kind of boldness that would allow us to be honest with you and bring our problems to you. God, I pray that you would, you would instill upon it, within us a, a confidence in you that would allow us to relinquish our attempts at controlling our circumstances and bringing them to your feet, believing, Jesus, that there's something that you want to do in the middle of them. And above all things, God, we pray that you would be glorified in our problems. Not just in our solutions, but in our problems. And that we would be a people who come to you 
Heavenly Father, knowing that you're a good father. Confirming and believing that in the midst of bad situations and circumstances. And whatever the outcome, God, I pray that you would minister love, that you would minister confidence in you. And God, we do pray for miracles, for signs and wonders, for the sake of your glory and our joy, so that we might testify to your goodness, that we might be able to tell the world how powerful you are, that we might be able to show those who don't believe that they ought to consider. Minister, I pray, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So John begins to tell us about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. If you were to back up into chapter 1, you would see that, that Jesus had begun to call some of his disciples, about five or six of them. He'd begun to gather them together, establish his, his entourage, if you will. And you get the phrase, the next day he does this, the next day he does this. And here in chapter 2, it says, on the third day, there was a wedding. So if you look at the order of things, it's been about a week in his ministry life. And as we look at this, this situation, I want us to consider the setting for this miracle. What's the setting that God has, has brought about? What's happening that's bringing everyone to this situation? I want to talk about the circumstances of the miracle. I want to talk about the sign itself. When John talks about the miracle, he calls it a sign, and that's important for us. And and then I want to talk about the significance of that sign. So we'll first talk about the setting. So as I said, it's early in Jesus' ministry. Maybe people don't really know who he is. There's some buzz that's starting to, to travel. But for the most part, he's, he's unknown. And he's been in Galilee. He's in, now in this small town called, called Cana in Galilee. It's so small, in fact, that they have to say, you know, the Cana, the one, the one that's in Galilee. You know, Greenville in, in North Carolina. And Greenville's a bigger city. But, but there's more than one. And so they have to identify it. He's, he's at this wedding feast with his mother. On the third day, they were at a wedding. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. It's worth noting that she's the one who's mentioned first, so it's entirely possible that this is a, a family friend or a relative. And it says in, in chapter two that, or verse 2 that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So Jesus is there. Nathaniel and some of the others are there. Mary is there. Uh, and and they're celebrating. Um, now, the, the wedding celebrations are not like our wedding celebrations and dads, you should be happy because this was a week long, actually dads of, of, of the, the bridegroom should be happy because the bridegroom was the one who actually threw the party. So it was a week long party for the most part. You invite all your friends and family to come and hang out and spend time together. You feast, you celebrate, you drink wine. Uh, and, and it's not that kind of drinking of wine, although that probably did happen. Um, but their wine was different. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but it's a celebratory moment. And so Jesus is there at the celebratory moment. Mary, Mary is there at the celebratory moment. The disciples are there at the celebratory moment. And we think this is going to be a great time. But then a problem happens. And we go from the, the setting to the circumstance of the miracle. It says in verse 4, or sorry, verse 3, When the wine had run out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. We don't know exactly why Mary comes to him. Maybe she's a really close friend. 
of, of the bridegroom who's throwing the party. Perhaps she's related. Or maybe she just overheard it. We don't know, but we know that he, she comes to Jesus. Now, Jesus hasn't performed a miracle at this point, but she knows there's something special about Jesus. She knows... She's, been, she's had some conversations. If you were with us during Advent, you heard us talk about Mary and, and her interaction with Gabriel who, who told her that she would have a child. And clearly she's had the experience of having a baby in, in the not-so-natural way that it normally happens. So she knows there's something unique about Jesus. And so she goes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Now the wine at the party would have been fermented wine, but it probably would have been uh, diluted one one half to maybe a tenth of the, the power that we would maybe imbibe if you do that. Um, so it's, it's not so much an issue of, of, of the wine itself, but the fact that the party is going to stop because they don't have the supplies that they need. It's, it's more than a faux pas, though. This is, a, this is an issue. This is a problem. This is the kind of problem that you and I experience. I don't know if you've ever hosted and then you, you, you burned your souffle or, you, you know, something bad happened. But it goes beyond embarrassment because for the bridegroom, there was an expectation that, that he and his party would provide. And it's, impossible, it, it's entirely possible that he was open to a lawsuit for the sake of not having this party go the way it was supposed to go. So we find that what seems like maybe it's a small deal, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Why is Jesus starting here is actually kind of a big deal. Uh, and I was reflecting on this, and I just wanted to stop for a second and just say, don't judge a person by their problems. I mean, this, is, this, is a, this is just a side note. I don't know if this is a direct point that, that John's trying to make. But when I started to study this text, uh, an initial question I came across was, um, why is this the first sign that Jesus performs? I mean, he raises someone from the dead, right? The, that's, a, that's, a, that's a miracle, right? He, he gives someone sight who was blind. I mean, these are, those are miracles. Here, they ran out of the, they ran out of the juice, right? It, it, they, they needed to go to the store. What kind of, what is the point of this? But when you begin to dig, you see that this could be really a big problem for the bridegroom. It could be a really big problem for this couple. You, you find out this is, this is a couple who's being brought together. They're establishing their marriage. And at their wedding, things are going sideways, right? This is a bigger problem than maybe I originally had considered. And Jesus enters in. And I just thought to myself, when I encounter people in my life at first glance, sometimes I see their problems as minor. Like maybe you go to small group and someone begins to share and you're like, you just need to grow up, man. Get a job. Work harder. And suck it up. But, but the graciousness of Jesus is that that's not the disposition that he has towards us and our problems. Amen? And, and, and I think one of the challenges that, that we face in church is that our, our, uh, we, we're very gracious towards our own problems and our own intentions, but we judge other people by their behaviors. And, and I think Jesus invites us in this moment to, to be gracious. We might say to ourselves, what's the big deal? But God cares about their big deal. So, uh, side note over. The problem is they have no wine. There's a problem and then there's the presence. Jesus is there. In this circumstance, there isn't just the problem. As I said, Jesus... The presence of God is there, and um, we see this interesting interaction with Jesus and his mom, right? In verse 3, it says that she goes to Jesus and says to him, they, they have no wine. 
You can almost hear him, her coming, sweetheart, i got to talk to you for a second. The party, there's a problem at the party. They don't have wine. And Jesus responds in this way that, you know, I think all of us have said to our moms, woman, what does this have to do with me? I'm just kidding. No one says that to their mom. Or maybe you do, and then we won't talk about what happens afterwards. But it involves a hand and a face. And, and that's the reality. Is in the English, this, this doesn't communicate necessarily the, the way that it's supposed to. In, in the Greek, woman, the way that Jesus says it, it's, it's actually an endearing thing. So he, he's, it's somewhere between like lady and ma'am. You know, I, I grew, spent a lot of time in North Carolina. I grew up in Alabama. We say ma'am. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, when I was, uh, I used to hang out with a friend and, and I turned 18 and um, her name was Miss Schenkelberg. It's quite a, quite a long name. And I got, I turned 18. She said, you can now call me by my first name. And I said, no, ma'am, I cannot. And she, she still is Miss Schenkelberg. Uh, the, the, and so there's this kind of deferential, respectful, honoring nuance to this, this word woman. At the same time, we see that Jesus is not calling him, not calling her mother, but, but woman. And so there's this this interesting thing that's happening in this moment, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's hearing what she's saying, and she's kind of come to him, and, and, and maybe, we, we don't know for certain, we, we don't know her intentions, but maybe she was kind of coming and saying, you know, I've got the inside tracks, you're my son, you're God, you know, maybe we can make something happen, and she, he, he lovingly distances himself from her and says, in effect, I love you, but, but our relationship is changing. You know, ma'am, this, this, I can't do things because of your agenda. And if you keep reading the gospel, you see that Jesus interacts with some of his other relatives who are like, you should go do some things, you know, show them how, how glorious you are, show them how powerful you are. And Jesus says, guys, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't do that. But in those cases and in this case, Jesus kind of in the background meets the need. So Jesus and Mary have this interaction. He, he basically says, ma'am, I can't set, let you set the agenda for my ministry. At the same time, he does intend to meet her need. And she knows that because mom always knows. And so in verse 5, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, we would do well to receive Mary's words for ourselves. I mean, I could just stop there and say, do whatever Jesus tells you. That, that is good. You know, if, if you walk away from this message and, and you receive anything and you just hear me say, do whatever Jesus tells you, I will be happy. Right? Just hear Mary. Later today, when you have your fight with your spouse, you're not going to have a fight with your spouse, but when you have a fight with your spouse, do whatever Jesus tells you. When, you're, when, you're, when you pick up your kid and your, your child goes and has a donut and sugar and, and post-church insanity ensues, do what Jesus tells you. When you go to work and you get that email from that coworker that is very clearly passive-aggressive, do what, do what Jesus tells you. Not just... Not, not just what would Jesus do, but what does Jesus clearly say for you to do? Does he say forgive and forgive? 
Does he say sacrifice and sacrifice? Does he say love and serve God alone? Then lay down your idols that bring you comfort, significance, security. We want to trust Jesus. And so she says, do whatever he tells you. So we go from the setting to the the circumstances now to the sign itself. In verse 6 it says, Now there were six stones of water, sorry, six stone water jars there for the the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. So these stones, they they were stone and not clay because stone is more impervious to water. It's not going to leak into the, the container itself. This is intended for uh, cleaning your hands, washing before a meal. Uh, you see later in, in the gospel that, that Jesus and his disciples end up not even doing this at the beginning. And the, and the Pharisees are like, why don't you, raise, you know, wash your hands? That's, our, that's the way we purify ourselves. And, and there's this whole conversation that ensues. But we see that Jesus takes these, these purification jars that, and he tells the disciples, fill them, or the, the servants, to fill them all the way to the brim. And... and and what's interesting is that if you read some of the other accounts, there, there's kind of a commentary that the Bible gives and says, this is what that sign meant. This is what that was for. But here we don't get one, so we get to speculate. Some people think that, okay, Jesus is, is he's making a, 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 a statement, right? Why does he use water? Well, the water was there, so maybe he used the water because that's what was there. Maybe he used the water because these are the Jewish uh, purification jugs that, that had the the represented the old way, the old law, the old covenant, and, and Jesus is saying, we're going to move into a celebratory moment. The Messiah is coming. There's a new covenant. It's, in, it's all entirely possible, but what we do know is that they fill it to the brim. There's nothing but water in it. it it's all the way to 100 filled with water, and then something miraculous happens. It seems like Jesus turns all the water into wine, or else why would he mention that they were filled to the brim? And one of the servants takes it to the, to the bridegroom, or takes it to the master, the host of the, of the wedding ceremony, and, and he tastes it, and he's like, this is amazing. Normally, normally when you throw a party, you, you have the best stuff out first, and then when everyone kind of gets worn out, or some people get more than worn out, which you shouldn't do, um, not just worn out, uh, then we bring out the less tasty wine because people can't really even tell at that point. But he says, but you have held the best for last. Now this, this points to the fact that God is extravagant in meeting the needs of, of this, this couple. Right? He doesn't just kind of make it barely happen, but he meets the needs by, by filling these jugs, these six jugs, 30 gallons, to the brim. I mean, this is valuable. He, he, he doesn't just meet their needs adequately. He's abundant in his grace. Right? Jesus is setting a tone for his ministry. He's setting a tone for what he is intending to do. And, and this is encouraging to me because when Jesus enters into my life and I begin to wrestle with God and God, would you help me with my problems like we talked about at the beginning? He doesn't just say, okay, well, I'll, I'll get you from point A to B, but then it's on you. No, he's... he's generous. He's abundant in his grace. He's merciful beyond compare. Jesus turns the water into wine. But the point is not the the sign itself. A sign points you somewhere else. A sign signifies something. So we want to look at what the significance of this moment is. So Mary is there and 
for her, the significance is that, that Jesus is stepping into the purposes for which he came. And if we were to go back and, and read some of the, the, the accounts of Mary and Gabriel, one of the things that, uh, well, not Mary and Gabriel, Mary and um, Simeon, thank you. Simeon tells her prophetically that, that his ministry, Jesus' ministry will cut it to her heart, that a sword will pierce her heart. And maybe this is the beginning of that, where he's having to separate himself from her. And eventually having to be on the cross and any mother who has to outlive or, or, or see their child dies experiences a, a significant pain. And so perhaps she knows that, that this is the beginning of the end for some things for her. And so this moment is a, a significant moment of change. And at the same time, it's, it's a significant moment of, of uh, pride that her baby boy, and he can do some neat stuff. Don't kid yourself. I mean, somewhere in, somewhere in Mary, there's a soccer mom. <laughs> and she's, she's excited about what God's doing through her son and the fact that she gets to participate. We, we see the significance for the bridegroom. The bridegroom and the bride, they, they maybe unknowingly get to benefit from this, this amazing gift. This is a, a valuable gift and it's it's a it's a an abundant gift and it's an unasked for gift and so they get to receive this blessing not necessarily even knowing where it's coming from but i think it's most significant when you consider the the servants and the the disciples can you imagine being one of the the, the servants just one of the you know you're wearing all black and you got cummerbund and you know, this guy, Jesus, walks up and you're like, I, I guess you're in charge, okay. I don't get paid enough, just what do you want me to do? Fill these jars with water. Not sure how that's going to help, but okay. You go fill the jars with water. And then they give you the ladle and go take this to the master. And, and somewhere, at, I, don't, I don't know what, at one point, maybe they just do it uh, absent-mindedly. Maybe they look in and they see something happening. Maybe it's already wine. Or, but at some point, they realize that there's... A miracle has happened. Now, they, they have to keep it together, right? The point of the, the wedding feast is not the miracle. The point of the wedding feast is the bride and the groom. But, but they have a, the opportunity to see the first miracle of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see the significance for the disciples. John tells us directly in verse 11. Um, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. They had faith. And in fact, if you go to John chapter 20, John does something that's really helpful that not every writer of scripture does. He, he tells us what the point of the book is. In John chapter 20 verse 30, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So Jesus, or sorry, so John is writing, and he's, he's trying to give us a picture that will allow us to put our trust in him. And one of the first things he does is give us this account of this miracle in Cana in Galilee. And he says, this is how this affected the disciples themselves. And, and it's entirely possible that John was here in this moment. And, and he says, you know what? They, they saw Jesus' glory. 
and they believed in him. What it's, what it's, what's interesting is that they don't just say, he doesn't just say they saw the miracle and, and they were amazed. It wasn't the miracle that amazed them. It was the miracle worker that amazed them. It wasn't just the sign itself that was exciting. It was the significance of that sign. It's important that we keep this because uh, that we, we, we pay attention to this because God will meet you in your problems and if you are satisfied with the solution, you may miss the fact that Jesus is the one who solved your problem. And sometimes when we come to Jesus for a solution, we're coming to Jesus as though he was a tool in our tool belt to fix our idol. That's, that's the difference between coming to the miracle and saying amen and coming to the miracle worker and saying amen. And so we see in, in verse 11 that this manifested God's glory. This manifested Jesus' glory and the disciples believed in him. It wasn't just, wow, that was amazing. I'm so glad we can keep this party going. They saw, oh no, pause. This, this party is, is a foil. It's a, it's, a, it's a minor character in the grand scheme of God's glory. This was intended that we might see and believe Jesus. And so I, I want to circle back around to your problems. What problems do you need to bring to Jesus today? You see, when Jesus and your problems intersect, you have an opportunity to trust in him deeply. Jesus is glorified when you trust in him with your problems. Right? When, when Mary goes from saying, Jesus, they have no wine, kind of putting down her mom card maybe, to then telling the, the servants, do whatever he, she says, she goes from relating to him as, as kind of his, the, the inside track to relating him, to him as one who has faith. And Jesus honors the fact that she has faith. And when you come to Jesus with your problems, God honors the fact that you're coming to him. Right? It says in Hebrews that, that we have to believe that he's here and that he desires to save us. We have to believe that he exists. And when we come to Jesus with our problems, when we say, God, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. We acknowledge the fact that he's God and I'm not. When you stop saying, I have to handle this myself, I have to control this, I have to manage this, and start saying, Jesus, I can't handle this, but I know that you can, that's when things begin to happen. I can't guarantee that it always happens the way you want it to, but it will happen in a way that will bring, bring blessing to you and glory to God. When you trust him with the outcome, when you don't force your agenda on him, but do what he says, and when you do this, you invite him into your problems so that he can act and you can get a glimpse of his glory. Family, Jesus wants to meet you in your problems. He wants to meet you in your problems. You may look around and say, no one else has a problem like me. It seems like everyone else has it together. Jesus doesn't care. He wants to meet you in your problems. You might be standing or sitting in this room and thinking to yourself, I'm not talking to anyone about my problems. It's too shameful. Jesus wants to meet you in your problems. You may be thinking to yourself, I just, I can't, this is too overwhelming for me. Jesus wants to meet you in your problems. 
So I want to do something. I, I want to invite uh, Pastor Jermaine and, and uh, we come up and we're going to pray. We, we prayed and we fasted this past week and I believe that God wants to minister today. Um, Pastor Jermaine, will you just be up here with the altar? And can I have our older, other altar ministry people come up? And, and I'm going to pray for you. And, and then we're going to have a moment. And I, I want to invite you and challenge you to come up here and allow someone to pray for you that God might meet you in your problems. Maybe you don't want to come up front. Maybe you, you, you want to just sit in your seat and, and pray. I want you to go to Jesus. You don't have to come to the altar to go to Jesus, but I want you to go to Jesus. And, and I want to believe that God is going to meet the needs of the people in this room. Amen? I, I, I am passionate to see God glorified in meeting your problems. So we're going to stand and we're going to pray. Stand together with me. And after we pray, if you want to go and get some donuts, you can do that. And, and no one, that's, that's great. That may meet your problems. But, but for the rest of us, you're welcome to come and pray and allow God to minister. Father God, we thank you that you showed us, you have shown us in history that you are willing and able and you desire to meet us in the middle of our problems. God, we thank you that, Jesus, you came to address the greatest problem of our sin, our wickedness, our rebellion, to take people who were unwilling to follow you to grant life and, and redemption and resurrection and repentance. So, God, I thank you that you're in the business of addressing our problems. And, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the boldness to admit that we have them, and the faith to believe that you want to address them, that you want to deal with them. God, we thank you for your goodness. If you have a need for prayer, come on up right now. This is the moment. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be worrying about people judging you. It's between you and God. And if, and if you find yourself without problems, I want you to pray for the people who have them. ministering to our hearts. Thank you for meeting our needs, Jesus. 
you need prayer, you just come and sit down. You don't have to worry because you didn't come up quickly. We're going to be here a minute. We're about to let the kids out. It's going to get crazy out there. You just come and sit and wait. We thank you that you desire to touch our hearts. We thank you that you want to touch our hearts, that you are a restorer, that you're a healer, that you're a redeemer, that you are a savior, that you bring freedom. I'm going to dismiss you, but if you want to stay and sit and pray quietly, you're welcome to stay and sit and pray quietly. If you're waiting to come up, you stay. You get prayed for today. You believe that Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your problem. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace, I pray in Jesus' name.